Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, and Pastor Adam Osher begin their discussion on Article 15 of the Augsburg Confession on church usages. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. We've got big news. Yes, the White Sox are going to the playoffs. Uh, big news <laughs> that is also good news. Yeah, right. Uh, mm-hmm. That's definitely a law-based comment. Yeah. Uh, reminds I, us I of our sin and our suffering. I could not wait to get that in there for you, <laughs> Jason. No, yeah. the better news for uh, everyone except uh, maybe our <laughs> listeners is that <laughs> we Adam is now a permanent host of uh, the Being Lutheran podcast with us. Yes. So yeah. officially welcome aboard. You're going to hear Thank hearing you, yeah. more of Adam. Uh, and want to get this out. This is not a knock on Nathan mm-hmm. or uh, anyone else. In fact, one of the reasons uh, uh, we want to say that about Nathan is he's also really good, but he's also really busy. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have anything going on. No, yeah, it's right, kind of yeah. nice. as, a, as a dean, you do nothing. I, yeah. Basically, <laughs> we not. found out <laughs> yesterday at the World and Everything in It event that you're just fine. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, that's great news. Welcome, yes, uh, welcome. officially yeah. to welcome. the program, Adam. The second thing uh, is by the time mm-hmm. that everyone is listening to this podcast, if we get it up on Tuesday, which is kind of up to Brian at this point, uh, would appreciate prayers because in two days from you listening mm. to this podcast, I will be defending the thesis for my Doctor of Ministry degree. All so, right. Yes. Uh, it's been a long... I've been doing my doctorate program for longer than we've been doing the podcast. The podcast, that's right. Uh, which is nuts. Does yeah. that mean I won't see you reading in the library just these stacks of books anymore? No, actually, I still do the library. The pandemic killed coffee shops in Minneapolis. Sure. And so there's no... I, I like studying with ambient noise and... Uh, the reason why I sit in the library on a campus is because I can't sit in a coffee shop and do it. So I'll still be the the library is kind of my proxy coffee shop. We have a coffee shop on campus now. You yeah, could actually yeah. do that, too. right? Yeah, my goal for being coffee. on yeah my goal for being on campus regularly is to not creep out the students too much, though. So <laughs> I figure if That's I'm in the goal. I figure uh, if I'm in the library, the students won't know I'm here. I won't have to answer emails <laughs> yeah. if you yeah. if you can do that for us. I appreciate it. It's, yeah, just think of my life uh-huh. as that Steve Buscemi gif oh, that people post no. where he's got the hat on What's backwards up, and he wanders in. And like, Hello, <laughs> fellow students. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what I function at as, as uh, on this campus. Well, that's, we'll that's defend awesome. you if we need to. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Only one night in jail. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it's probably time for us to <laughs> get into the, the topic at hand today. Uh, today we're on Augsburg Confession, Article 15. So Article 15, Augsburg Confession and the, its apology. There you go. And I didn't even uh, have to say no, it. No, right. It only took you 15 articles I was gonna say, to say, we're about yeah, halfway through, yep. uh, just about of the Augsburg Confession, so finally got it down. Way to be. Yeah, thanks. Uh, but it's on uh, church usages or um, church ceremonies. Um, uh, the big yeah. topic for what we're going to be talking about in this arc is it's kind of a formal application of adiaphora. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's what the church does as the church right. that is not prescribed by Scripture. So it right. is adiaphora. That's but the it's definition kind of, of adiaphora. Yeah, yeah. The, the things that are not prescribed or forbidden in Scripture, but this has to do with church practice 
specifically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not going to be talking about fasting right. or, or things like that, but um, more of a formal aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and read the article and get that in front of us and launch into our discussion here. So uh, this is Article 15 of Augsburg Confession. It says, uh, With regard to church usages that have been established by men, it is taught among us that those usages are, are to be observed with which may be observed without sin and which contribute to peace and good order in the church among them being certain holy days, festivals, and the like. Yet we accompany these observances with instruction so that consciences may not be burdened by the notion that such things are necessary for salvation. Moreover, it is taught that all ordinances and traditions instituted by men for the purpose of propitiating God and earning grace are contrary to the gospel and teaching about faith in Christ. Accordingly, monastic vows and other traditions concerning distinctions of foods, days, etc., by which it is intended to earn grace and make satisfaction for sin, are useless and contrary to the gospel. All right, there it is. Boom. Uh, the the gauntlet's been laid down. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, what are your first thoughts as you hear that? Uh, maybe start with Adam today. Any Anything that comes to your mind right away as you hear, just reading through that again today. Yeah, I was, uh, as I was reading through this and kind of prepping for the show, I was thinking about my experience as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And now I've had such a vast, uh, a very, very vast array of worship styles in the churches that I've been a part of, both as a parishioner and as a pastor. And I, as, as I look through this, what I'm seeing is things that I've really appreciated mm-hmm. about my pastoral ministry in the different worship styles, different things that are done well. And I also, as I was reading through this, thought about a lot of the things that people uh, maybe have preconceived notions about or maybe misunderstand about some of the audiophora style, our type things that we do in worship. So it, it's kind of interesting as I read this. I have, a, I have a lot of anecdotal stories as I think about it. But, uh, one is, yeah. you know, as I think about it, just um, why do you wear a robe? You know, that was a question that mm-hmm. I got an awful lot of uh, times from from friends in our AFLC in our church body, uh, who uh, by I would say by and large very very few churches have their pastors in robes on a given Sunday, and so like oh why oh you're one of those you know it's very confusing <laughs> to other yeah. people and kind of why why do you have the you know oh a stole oh you have a necklace on I, I would get those comments a lot and it's kind of interesting as I read this it's like well yep. it's Adiaphra isn't it right leave me alone. So you're <laughs> so get you, off my lawn. Yeah. As a pastor, Adam, you are copping to people asking you, "Why are you the way that you are?" Yes, I think we should kind of get into a little bit of inside baseball here with our AFLC heritage, sure. just so that those who aren't in the AFLC understand yeah. uh, historically. Uh, our church denomination comes out of uh, the bigger circle of Norwegian or Scandinavian, even Lutheranism, which already puts us on a different track than the LCMS or yeah, brothers which and tend sisters. Tend to be more the like the German yep. based. Yep. Uh, uh, for my uh, money, the best way of understanding Lutheran denominations today are to understand their ethnic heritage first. And, right. And so the mm. the LCMS and Wells. Uh, are primarily the German churches, uh, and the uh, AFLC and the Lutheran Brethren are primarily the Scandinavian churches, and then some even later denominations than us, the AALC uh, and 
the, well, not the ELCA is a mishmash of everything, right? Uh, but the AALC is kind of a, a mix of the two. But the sure. the two major threads of the the Lutheran Church flowing out of the Reformation are the Scandinavian thread and the German thread. Now, to be sure, the Scandinavians inherited what they inherited from Martin Luther, and, and uh, to trace church history. Uh, and if I'm a little bit off on this, someone report me to Dan Van Voorhees of the, right. the Church History Today podcast that he does. But uh, uh, Lutheran theology comes from Germany to Scandinavia through Denmark. And actually, the way I remember it is that Luther sent his pastor, a guy who has my favorite name in Lutheran history ever of all time, a guy by the name of Johann Bugenhagen, <laughs> uh, to to be a pastor in Denmark. And then right. uh, at the time, Scandinavia is more or less one country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Scandinavia trickled up into what is now Sweden and what is now Norway through King Christian of Denmark. So long story even longer, uh, AFLC comes out of Norwegian Lutheranism, but mm-hmm. in that circle, we come out of the heritage of Norwegian pietism. And, and we got to be clear on this. This is actual capital P pietism right. uh, and, yep. and not pietism as legalism. Something as a historical movement. Yeah, it's a yeah. historical movement. And so our fathers in the faith, our literal fathers in the faith in the AFLC are the ones who in the mid-1800s were getting caught up in all of the vices and the shortcomings of the state church in Norway and, and we've said it, we've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times. The problem with the state church in Norway is that it was a government job. You know, your, your pastor was, was more or less like middle management at the post office kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah. Uh, not to a mixing just up of the, the postal two workers. Yeah. yeah. So mixing of the two kingdoms, it becomes a matter of prestige. It becomes a matter of simply getting paid. Uh, the major excuses of the writers uh, in Norway and in Sweden at the time are that there's just no spiritual life in the congregations. It's just all formality, which is what we're going to get into here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the free church movement, which we come from, yep. starts is that the churches should not be objected to the overruling of the state or of an outside organization on it, that the, the congregations are essentially independent units mm-hmm. that voluntarily bind themselves together to do the work of the church. And that looked very different from the state church. Yeah, very you know, different. As the, as the working, uh, as that worked out in practice, it became a lot of house churches, a lot of uh, very informal type services oftentimes led, well, most of the time, right, led by lay people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so that tradition of some of the um, some of the formal practice of what the state church would have practiced, we, as a, a heritage, speaking now as a heritage here, we didn't continue because of some of those connections. Yeah, Am like, I correct in that? Yeah, is no, that that's exactly what that? it is. And, and so, so that opens the door for the criticisms of who we are as an AFLC. Get there in a moment. Uh, why I bring that up and why it's relevant mm-hmm. to this is that the AFLC is almost by definition, but certainly by heritage, a low church body. Right. That we did not inherit uh, the vestments or the formality of the divine service that you see in many, but not all, right. LCMS congregations. And that's why Adam would face questions like that from a lot of our free Lutheran friends where they're just not used to that sort of thing. And uh, that's one thing I appreciate about this article is that uh, I think the, the emphasis here is this gives us a, a format or maybe a, a way to start the discussion to have conversations like this in our congregations. 
And to emphasize and to think through everything we do in terms of not burdening people's consciences. And I think that comes through in this of, you know, what can we do and not sin in doing? And that's maybe a good starting point in in thinking about these things. Well, that's baked right into the content that you read in the Mm -hmm. article, that the, the whole purpose of this is that we are free. This is an article of Christian freedom. We are free to observe or not observe ceremonies so long as it can be done without sin, so long as it doesn't burden consciences. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would even add to this from other articles in the Confession, so long as it's useful to teach the faith Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, not opposed to it, right? Uh, What we end up with, and I think this is a very fair criticism of the AFLC, is a lot of what trickled through the generations to where we are now is that there is a rejection of formality as formality. And so just like we would rightly target the Protestant or the generic American church in America for rejecting things because they're too Roman Catholic, uh, there is a thread of that rebelliousness in the AFLC that rejects things like vestments or, or formality in the service because that's what the original founders of the, the free church movement and Lutheranism would kind of reject. And that bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason, and it should. Yeah. And the reason for that is because uh, a lot of that rejection is a rejection of stuff that stuff that's very formal that has been uh, yeah. that has been very useful within worship right. over the course of time and i experienced that in my in my church right well why do you do that and they kind of dismiss some of these practices um, but i think when we look at practices within the church we have to ask the reason why are they there right because that definitely goes to not burdening consciences they are not there because they are somehow um, salvific, right? Wearing a vestment does not add mm-hmm. to s- some sort of grace. Or having people attend services just for the sake of attending services does not confer, you know, uh, a grace upon them that they get some sort of credit, right, in heaven. But the order of the service, and I, I come from a, a church in suburban Pittsburgh uh, where I was pastor for, for five years, where there was, uh, we practice what's called the common service, which is goes all the way back to Luther, Right, and we we practiced that service that was very different um, from a lot of our AFLC churches. But there was the the thing I appreciated about the common service. It's so well thought out. It is so well put together, and it guides us through worship. So, it's, is it salvific? Can we use a different order of service? Absolutely. Scripture doesn't speak to that, right? But what it does do, what the common service does do, is it walks us through in an orderly fashion what we are to be doing within the worship service, which it brings us through the law and the gospel, the confession of sin, the receiving of, of the word of, of forgiveness, of absolution, and then hearing of the word is kind of the center of that service. Very, very meaningful and purposeful service. Yeah, and that touches on two really important issues that are under the umbrella of this article. The first one is, I think the term is finally faded <laughs> out of Christian consciousness, and I'm, I'm yeah. grateful for it. Was you know when we were in seminary, especially people were talking about the worship wars, right? And the worship wars always boil down to style versus substance, but the two are connected. Mm-hmm. The two are intimately connected: right. style and substance. And, and and what you brought up, Adam, is that no, a certain style of worship service 
doesn't isn't better than the other from the perspective of conveying the message of the gospel because mm -hmm. the gospel has to be present or doing any of that. We should say at this point, however, there is nothing wrong with having a personal preference. Right. You know, right. Uh, I prefer a more formal service to a less formal service. I I appreciate vestments. I like liturgical settings as you know, they're called now, although everyone has a liturgy because it's just an order of the service, right? right? Uh, I appreciate that. For people who find that uh, hard to pay attention to, there's nothing wrong with that, but we would qualify for either so long as the content is there. Uh, it is it is entirely possible to have a right. formal service that is devoid of the actual gospel or the movement from law to gospel, Right. It's entirely possible to have a contemporary worship service that is completely devoid of law and gospel, of confession of sin and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, th I think that we have to remember that everything communicates something. Uh, every every way you do something, every, you know, even like vestments, you know, even if, uh, I know for a long time, I, I've kind of felt like that of like, I don't like that, but I heard somebody explain the reasoning for it of of the idea that the pastor is kind of inter interchangeable, uh, but that that vestment kind of represents the office of that God has placed that that man in there, um, and and that that was kind of uh, good for me to hear. Um, you know, even something as silly as uh, like flowers on on the altar. You know what? <laughs> something you know, a, a, a small practice like that. You know, why is that a thing? And you know, th there are yeah. things like that. Uh, there's a whole host of things that every congregation will have to wrestle through on um, what does this mean and, and what is it communicating? Uh, what are we uh, teaching through that? One of the things that I did when I was at that church in Pittsburgh, uh, it was I we, we looked at what we were doing and what I wanted people to understand was the why. So we have flowers on the, on, on the altar. Mm -hmm. Why? We have candles. Why? Mm -hmm. uh, we have this order of service. Why? And one of the things we did was for visitors, I uh, and this was actually, I stole this from uh, some of our Presbyterian friends, but it was this idea that within your bulletin or worship folder or whatever uh, that is called in the various churches, um, I put one together with our liturgy, but in, in margins, in the sidebar, I described what the various aspects of the liturgy were. So you have like a Lutheran study bulletin? Right. <laughs> That's right. I, nice. I wish I, I would like have coined that. that. Yeah. That patent pending. Patent pending. Uh, so, yeah. And, and the why is the key, though. The why are yeah. we doing this? And, yep. and, you know, it really helps our people if they understand it. Tremendously. And I, I think on the flip side of that, it helps us to know what we can do better for visitors. Mm -hmm. but, but there's, you know, kind of within this concept, there is a whole lot of a need for intentionality. Mm-hmm. Right? Are you doing what you're doing because it looks nice mm -hmm. or because it sounds nice or because it flows from Scripture? Yeah. Are you doing what you're doing because your general understanding of the worship service is movement from me to God? Or is it the biblical concept that God is serving us with his gifts in the worship service? And you know, yeah, Even that word worship service or versus yep. a divine service. Or, exactly. Yeah. All of that. It's communicating it, something. Yep. Yeah, it boils down then to do you know what you believe 
and why you believe it. Sorry, Whitehorse, and I'm just taking nah. that because <laughs> I love that phrase so much. And yeah, you know, it, I, I've done this a couple of times at church and, and tried not to get too discouraged at it. But you know, you ask the question, why do we do this element of the divine service? Why is right. it there? And be like, well, it's just always been there. Right? We've always so, done it that way. And yeah. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the line to avoid uh, yeah. of just we've always done it this way, but move towards intentionality and teaching and. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and and this is a part where, as a congregation, as leaders in your church, you'll be making those decisions, and maybe you won't always be need to needing to talk through these things. But I think it's good to to keep them in 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 our minds. Yeah, it's just like catechesis, right? Yeah. You don't have to be doing it every second of every time you're in church, but to do it regularly, there's a lot of value. And I think you nailed the two mm-hmm. extreme is on on the. Empty tradition side mm-hmm. uh, is defined by the phrase uh, "we've always done." It we've that always way. done it this way. The the more contemporary side is change for the sake of change, and and it's a fear of rote emptiness that drives it. Where we would recognize somewhere in the middle that repetition has value, even as repetition. You know, I I remember. With pride, the first time I saw my kids going through the service because they knew the words. Mm-hmm. And, and hmm. they get, you know, like the first time I heard my child recite the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. or, or the that's, first that's time so I, yeah. I knew them going through the confession of sins. And, and the idea for our children as we form them in the faith is not that they understand every word of the confession of sins, but that they're doing it and it becomes normal for them. There was a, a woman named Betty, and I would visit Betty from time to time. Pastor Molstry here on campus as well was her pastor, uh, and he tells the same story. He had a similar experience with her. Uh, we would visit Betty, and Betty was, uh, and, and when I was there, in her late stages of dementia, one of the things that I found fascinating and why where, where the value of liturgy really was confirmed in me was watching Betty not be able to tell you where she was or who I was, but to be able to pray the Lord's Prayer, to be able to recite Psalm 23, to be able to confess the uh, Apostles' Creed <laughs> and what is hidden there. Now, does it does that, um, you know, does that necessarily, could she explain it? Could she, you know, could she give you Luther's explanation? She probably could because she was Lutheran, you know. Yeah. She probably could have done that too because she hid it in her heart. And it matters in those moments. And you see the value of that. Like you say, catechesis, that's what it is. It's burying it there for the times when it's most valuable. Well, and we've, we have touched on it several times on this podcast. One mm-hmm. of my great fears for the church is that when our generation starts going into nursing homes and starts succumbing to the evils of dementia. We'll say, Lord, I lift your name on no, high. I don't even think we're going to get there. I think like what's going to come out of my head is like theme songs and, and jingles from commercials and stuff. Oh. I'll, visit you, I'll visit you in the nursing home and you'll be singing the Friends yeah. theme song. Or, or, like, uh, you know, I'll just be sitting there in my stupor going, doot, doot, doot. That's it. Uh, our fear, uh, and I say this generationally, yeah. our fear of rote repetition hmm. is denying us the peace and the comfort that they talk about yeah, here right. uh, of having that to fall back on when you don't know what else to say. Hmm. And, and uh, a, a book I recommend, especially to young pastors all the time, is Bo Geertz's The Hammer of God. Oh, I love that. And yeah. I can't find the section. <laughs> it makes me wonder if it was a different book at this point. But <laughs> I'm almost positive one of the novellas that make up that book, there is a scene 
where the pastor is just exhausted. He is spent and he is exasperated. And he gets to the point at the end of the novella where he has to lead a divine service. And this is a guy who's, you know, been the stereotypical change for the sake of change. Let this give the spirit freedom to move as if we can constrain the spirit of God kind of a thing. But at the end, he's like, he has nothing left to give for the service. And then he realizes, oh, that's what the liturgy is there for. Sure. He falls back on it and it's God does the work through his word. And, and the demand on our own spirit to be in our faith constantly generating a pious experience is exhausting for the broken. Mm. It is really exhausting. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, good. I, I think that's maybe a good place to land this episode. Any any closing thoughts as, as we wrap up? Uh, we'll, we'll keep going on this theme in our next episode as well. Uh, maybe pick up where we left off. Yeah, just to, just to highlight the points of, of what the actual article says that we, these, yeah. we're, we're, our focus here is traditions that we can observe without sin that promote mm-hmm. peace and comfort for the conscience instead of burdening the conscience and that teach the faith. Mm-hmm. That's the whole principle at play here. Yep. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.